Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. <laughs> Let me ask if you got a copy of our printed prayer list. Did you get that? If you didn't, excuse me, of our outline tonight. Uh, notice our, our printed prayer list is also out front. I hope that you get those and make sure that you're praying over the needs of your people, okay? It's your faith family. Um, but tonight also, did you co- get a copy of our outline? Did you get that? You nod your head yes if you did. If you didn't, would you hold your hand up? They'll get you one as quick as they can. Raise your hand. Anybody not have one? What? 100%? What in the world? I feel like we ought to just pray and go home now. Amen? I mean, if that, that, that's never happened. And so, hey, thank you to those who pass those out so faithfully each week. Um, we're so thankful for all of you and for so many, you know, so many things that are going on all the time when we're together. And I'm so thankful for all the mighty servants of the Lord who are here. If you have your Bible, would you turn with me to the New Testament book of Acts? And if you would, find with me verse, uh, excuse me, chapter number 12, Acts chapter 12. <clears throat> now, uh, we've got to do, we need a Red Sea type of miracle tonight. That be, you know what I'm saying? And what I mean by that is there's a message and a prayer time. And Jackie said if we have a message and a prayer time, we need a Red Sea miracle so that the kids get picked up in time. You with me? So we need a Red Sea miracle. I've been praying all day God's going to give us a miracle, and I believe he is. Okay? Does anybody know? we got something going on next week, I think. Does anybody know? Revival. I hope that you've been praying about that. Tonight, in just a little bit, we're going to go into some specific prayer time for that. Um, But before we do, I want us to look at a message entitled, The Power of a Praying Church. Okay? Now... When you look into Acts chapter 12, you're going to see uh, the church, but the church looks a little different at this particular time in history than the church does now. Now, it doesn't look different in the souls that are saved, but it looks different in the style that they gather, in the way in which they gather. I heard someone say to me one time, and it's, it's, it's always amazing to me how in theological circles and in, the, in ministry circles, people say, well, we're trying to take it back to the, the, the original church in Acts, you know, and I always smile about that, you know, because uh, we, you know how we are. We, wanna, we think sometimes we can do it better than somebody else can do it, and people say, we, we, our church is trying to go back to the old, the old Acts model of the church, and I said, yeah, that is, you're right. We need to stay focused on those things, and they said, no, we're talking about like in-home uh, gatherings, and, and, and we believe that that's biblical. I said, well, <clears throat> have you ever studied the history of the church in the Bible from Acts in its early stages and beginning to, like, say, for instance, First, Second Timothy, Titus, and they look at me. Now, these guys that have preached the Word, and I say, what I mean by that is, because some of us are thinking, yeah, I don't know why we gather these large buildings and, and why we do that and why we don't just do it at home like they did in the book of Acts. If you read through, uh, through the, the, the history of the church from Acts on through the end, you'll find out that the, the instruction of the church first is to gather and to make disciples. But as that continues to unfold, you'll see the Holy Spirit of God using Paul to tell Timothy and Titus what the church ought to look like, deacons and, and teachers and faithful men that they're passing it on. What's the point, preacher? I'm talking about even before the end of the Bible's recording and writing, the church had changed from little in-home gatherings to larger gatherings where people were coming together 
and they needed deacons and, 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 and servants and, and pastors in the church to, to do what the church is called to do. Isn't that neat? Some of y'all put to rest your fears that we're not like the Acts early church. No, we're not because we're not the beginning. We're, we're not the infancy stages of the church. We're on down the road a little bit, okay? And uh, the Scripture teaches that in First, Second, and Timothy and Titus, okay? So, now, without further ado, I want us to go back and look at this original beginning of the church and this group of believers who are being persecuted for their faith. And what I mean is, uh, because of the governing authorities, they were being persecuted because they were teaching of salvation in Jesus' name. Trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus could make Jew or Gentile right with God. Well, the Jewish people were mad about that because uh, they said only the Jewish people, according to the Old Covenant, you know, in the Old Testament, even that was a misunderstanding. But also uh, the Gentiles who said, you know what, you're not going to preach in Jesus' name because the Jews are getting mad and turning the Roman authorities against them. And boy, you just had a big mess. Can you imagine going out of your house and being afraid that somebody's going to arrest you at work and drag you and your wife away and your children away and you never see each other again just because... You were obeying Jesus and making disciples. Can you imagine how hard it would be to do that, to go out and make disciples? If you were threatened that they'd come arrest you at your job, they'd come arrest you at your house, separate your kids and your family, have some of you stoned and starved. And can you imagine how many of us would not be making disciples, right? It wouldn't be like it is now where all of us are making disciples when it's easy. Can you imagine how many of us would not be at that point in time? My, my, I got your attention all of a sudden. Boy, y'all just started thinking about something, didn't you? See, sometimes it's the, it's the plenty of God, the comfort of life uh, that keeps us from doing what we're called and supposed to do, you know? So tonight, what I want us to do is look at this very, back in the beginning, okay? And the deliverance of one particular disciple named Peter, one of the apostles, as a matter of fact. So what I want to do is let you know what's happened. Okay, first of all, a man by the name of James has been killed by Herod. Okay, and what's happened is uh, James, not the half-brother of Jesus, okay, there were two James at the particular time, but James, one of the sons of thunder, John's brother. Y'all tracking with me? Give me a little head nod. What's happened is Herod has arrested him, and he's killed him with the sword publicly, and because of that, all the Jewish people, are so they just get fired up like they did at Jesus' death. I'm not talking down on the Jews. It was just the particular people at that particular time, right? It just shows the depravity of man, not a particular people. So, as the crucifixion of Jesus has happened, and they're cheering, give us Barabbas, said, him for, I'm a little bit hot, brother. If you turn me down just ever so slightly. All right, so now as we think about this thing, they're excited about Jesus' death. They're cheering his death. Now, fast forward a little bit. James is dead. Herod has killed him, and they're fired up about it. He's become popular now because he's killed this Christian named James. And so he comes up with this wonderful idea that he's going to now arrest Peter. Why? Because Peter is one of the leaders. He's the guy. And so now he's got him incarcerated, awaiting to kill him, and that's what we're going to pick up tonight, okay? Y'all tracking with me? I'm trying not to preach long tonight, so I need you to track with me, okay? Can y'all track with me? Give me a head nod if you can track with me. Okay, here we go. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Let's read quickly verse 5 on down through verse number 18-ish, okay? 18-ish. You like that? I figured y'all, y'all, some of y'all aren't even listening to me tonight, all right? <laughs> here we go. Verse number 5. Peter was therefore kept where? Prison, but, but, huge but, contrast. He's in a bad situation, difficult. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, what was he bringing him out for? Anybody know? Run a sword through him. Uh, that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the doors were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. 
and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up. And this is what the angel said, arise quickly. And when the angel spoke, his chains, Peter's chains, fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So when he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he might be seeing a vision. You ever have a good dream you wish wouldn't end? Don't you think Peter was there? Please nobody wake me up. This is really good. <laughs> I want to live this thing all the way to the end. Oh, but he has no idea how good it's about to get. Verse 10, when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod, from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together. And what were they doing? Praying, praying for Peter, praying for Peter's release. And Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A girl named Rhoda came to answer. Uh, when he recognized, when she recognized, rather, Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate. She forgot something very important right there. You ever get so happy and giddy you forget to do the, something real important? Okay, so she just left him standing there. Uh, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Now, I know you've heard this, and I've preached this, but hang with me, okay? I'm going to point one particular thing out tonight as we walk through this. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Uh, you've lost your mind. It would look like in today's English, you're crazy. You're crazy. Yet they kept, or rather, she kept insisting that it was so. So they said to her, well, it must be his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, can you see him? Everybody do this. Can you do that? Do that with me. Everybody do that. Come on, y'all. I ain't doing that. Just do that with me one time. All right, that's what he's doing. Everybody keep silent. He declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said to them, go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he said, wait a minute, James is dead. This is the other James. Two Jameses. James, half-brother Jesus. Go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went out to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. And when Herod had stretched for him and not found it, searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Father, would you, would you right now speak to our hearts in a very clear and concise way? Lord, whatever it is that we are supposed to hear, each one of us, as we are seated in our chair, would you speak from heaven? And Father, I thank you that tonight, you're able to use somebody even as small and insignificant as me. And that, Lord, you might use me tonight to preach this word in such a way that we leave here, considering what we've heard with the idea of applying it, living it. We're reminded of Jesus' words, that blessed are you if you hear these things and do them. So by your Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and a desire and the power to make application. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the people of God said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Look at your outline quickly. We're going to just make a few points as we go back through the text. The title is The Power of a Praying Church. They're praying for what? Peter's release. What happens? Peter's release. Y'all are looking at me like, is this a trick question? No, no. Uh, very concise, very clear. They're praying for his release. And before we get to the end of this thing, he's released. Okay, now let's just go back and look at a few things. I want to make, if I could, five observations, if I could, from the text. First, I want to point to the main idea. What is it? Prayer excesses 
the impossible, okay? Now remember, the power of prayer doesn't reside in the person praying. The power of prayer resides in the one who we're praying to. Y'all tracking with me? So this doesn't make us special uh, recipients of a certain kind of prayer power, but instead it is a connection to the one who is able to do, listen to me, anything, anything. He can do anything. And he can do anything, listen, anywhere. Did you know that? And he can do anything, anywhere. Do you know this? He's not on my time schedule or your time schedule. He can do anything, anytime, anywhere. And he can do it any way he so desires. Now, the problem is we struggle with believing that. And we have a tendency, y'all got to help me tonight or we're never going to get out of here. We have a tendency to trust what our eyes see and what our ears hear, right? And so it leads us away from a close personal dependence upon the supernatural power of God because we trust what we see and we trust what we hear. So let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, I want to point out in verse 5 and 6 that it is, in fact, our responsibility to pray, all right, to pray. I wonder what sort of shape the people around us would be in, the church would be in, if everybody prayed like we pray. Uh, in other words, uh, the, the, the amount of prayer that we spend praying for, intercessory kind of prayer, praying on behalf of other people, uh, praying for the supply of other people, praying that God's deliverance would happen in the hands and the lives of other people, praying for the salvation of other people. I wonder, when's the last time uh, that you prayed for somebody to be saved and rescued and set free? And the next question would be, how often do you pray it? How often do you pray for the release? I call it the release the release of the captives. Okay, so let's think about that. Look in verse 5 and 6. So what happens in verse 5 and 6? Peter was therefore kept in prison, but, and I love the contrast, constant. I want you to think about that word for just a minute, what it means to be praying constantly. And then the word of God teaches uh, the, the constant and earnest means that I mean it, and so I'm praying it over and over. It's earnest in my life, and I'm praying it over and over. And I want to give you a word that means, that, that I'm going to say this. The scripture says this way, pray without ceasing. And so in our life, it means that we're to keep praying and to always be praying. And I had a person say to me one time, well, that didn't make any sense. How am I going to work if I'm, if I'm praying without ceasing? And I said, no, it doesn't mean that I'm always talking. It just simply means I'm always at least listening. And so prayer is not just me. See, so many of us think that prayer is me talking to God, although that's only half of it, right? And really, the more spiritual wisdom you gain, you probably get that that ratio goes down, <laughs> And there's time spent listening. Now, someone asked me one time, how do I listen for God? And I said, that's easy, easiest question I've received all day. They said, well, how? How do I do it? You spend time every morning in the Word of God. Now, it's amazing to me how many people don't hear the Spirit voice and the direction of the Holy Ghost uh, because the Bible stays closed and there's maybe a sprinkle of Jesus, a verse here and there. And so we miss, we're not able to hear his voice or to hear his promptings or to feel his leadership. And so I'd encourage you, make sure that you're spending time in the Word. If you want to hear God speak, if you want to feel his nudging, and by the way, it's an awesome feeling. You know what I've learned? Even when it's the things I don't want to do, and that's a lot of the case, it's an awesome thing just to feel God prompt your heart. You're like, I don't want to, oh, wait, that was God that just did that. Wow. Wow, how many people on earth right now? How, many, how much is going on right now? What's God orchestrating in this second in 7 billion, 8 billion people around the world? And he just nudged my heart. He just nudged my heart. And uh, man, I, and so it's our responsibility to, y'all help me, 
pray. We ought to be defined as a praying people. Your kids ought to hear you pray. People ought to know that you pray. You ought to spend time in prayer. And I want to say this to you. What I've learned in my life recently is that as I'm praying, sometimes with my eyes open, sometimes with my eyes closed, a couple things that I practice in my life is that when I see somebody, the moment that I see them, I pray for them. And I don't, you say, well, what do you pray for them? I just start praying. Uh, God, I don't know what's going on in uh, Greg's life, but Lord, thank you that Greg's here tonight. That's what I prayed that for you. You don't even know that. As, I, as we're talking, I'm praying. And in my head, I'm praying for every person my eyes lay on. And let me tell you something, that'll occupy a lot of your time. Because there's a lot of time, I mean, really, you're with people more than you're not with people. And so that's a good practice. It keeps you in the practice of praying. Lord, I don't know what's going on in their life, but I pray they're energized today. Or they may start off by saying this, right? I'm so tired. Well, hey, automatically, you know how to pray for them. Lord, would you? You don't have to say it out loud. You can if you feel it, but you can pray on the inside. God, they're feeling tired. Energize them today. And so you're in a constant state of conversation with God and a constant state of listening. Listen, one of the greatest attributes of the child of God is to live the listening lifestyle. What are you saying to me? What do you want me to do? How do I respond to what I've heard this person saying to me? Lord, would you direct what I say? Would you give me scripture that backs it up? Lord, direct my steps today. How do I deal with this hard situation? How do I deal with this, with this mountaintop experience, you know, that's just been put in my lap? How do I handle, how do I make this next decision? So it's a constant state of praying. But here specific to the text, we're supposed to be praying people out of some situations. How many of you are thankful you had a praying mama? Anybody here say your mama or your grandmama prayed you out of some stuff? Raise your hand up high if that's you. Oh, my, look around the room. And what an awesome thing. And so I wonder how many will say that about me and you. I'm so thankful I had a praying mama and a praying daddy or praying, you know, that prayed me out of some stuff, prayed me through some stuff. All right, we're praying now. We're talking about a week of revival. Think about that. We're supposed to be praying some people out of some stuff. All right, verse number six, quickly. Number two, we can have peace in every situation. What am I talking about? Who in the situation had peace? And how do I know it? Verse six, somebody help me. What's his name? Peter. How do I know he's at peace? How many of you know it's hard to sleep when you're not at peace? And you can tell me about nights you've laid awake in your bed, anybody? Because you're not at peace. There's some worry. There's some anxiety. There's some anxiousness. You're worried about what's happening next. You're thinking about what's coming your next way. What if, what if one of your dear brothers in Christ had just had a sword run through him publicly, and they got you next, and they said, hey, tomorrow we're going to do you, and it's going to be great, and then we're going to run that sword through you in front of everybody, and it's, the crowd's going to go wild. It's going to be awesome. And there they said, now we're going to throw you in this dungeon. We're going to chain you to two strangers, and hope you sleep well. We'll see you in the morning. First of all, you ever pondered this? You ever pondered this question right here? How well would you sleep, Drew, if tonight they changed you to a strange guy you didn't know? It'd be hard, wouldn't it? I'd be having my wife watching him, you know. I'd be keeping my eye on him. How many of y'all say it'd be hard for you to sleep tonight if they changed you to a stranger? Seventy y'all. Some of y'all are weird. <laughs> Let me ask that one again. I thought I knew my people. How many of y'all have a hard time sleeping if they change you to a stranger and not raise your hand? Okay, I'm like, man, something wrong with y'all, right? Uh, now, let me take the, let me up to Annie a little bit. What if, what if tonight they said to you, Thomas, they said, tonight, Thomas, I'm going to chain one guy on your right and one guy on your left. Have a good night. Sleep. Oh, by the way, tomorrow we're going to run a sword through you in front of everybody. Sleep well. Huh? I don't know about y'all, but I, it's enough to be chained to one stranger. I'm chained to two strangers, and I know that my friend has already had the sword run through him, and my turn's next. But you see, when you're like the Apostle Peter and you've walked on the water with Jesus, you say, yeah, but he sank. Yeah, but he walked on water first. And you've come to see the resurrected Jesus. And you've gone from chicken little Peter who would not stand up for Jesus' name, but after seeing the resurrected Jesus and having received the Holy Ghost, you won't shut up about Jesus. Come on, somebody. Then what happens is they throw you in jail, threaten you with death. You say, oh, well, that's just a quick ticket home. Let me give me a little nap before I go. 
or he may deliver me. I don't know. He's in control, but I trust him either way. Well, what if you and I got to that place where we said, no matter what today holds, he holds today, and I trust him with it, even if it's hard. I'll tell you what happened. You ready? A new level of peace. So just a observation from the text, and we're talking about the power of a praying church, and the main idea is prayer accesses the impossible. It's our responsibility to pray, but here we have Peter, who is a complete peace. He is sleeping shackled between two strangers, awaiting his death with a sword, okay? Now, verses 7 through 12, number 3, quickly. Nothing is too hard for God. Watch as the story unfolds, as the historical account. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Now, the word in the Greek is angelos. It's where we uh, get the word angel, and it means literally messenger. And I've told you a little bit about angels recently. When I ask you the question, hey, how many wings do angels have? And somebody would say, two, right? And no, your family member doesn't get their wings because we don't die and become angels. We die and become like Christ because we were made in his image, and we're made perfect, but we don't have any wings. Angels are created angels, and there'll never be anything except for Angels, okay? Now, what, how many wings? Well, if you're in Isaiah, they have six, right? But if you're dealing with Lot in the Old Testament, they look like a man. They didn't have any. Sometimes they're seen with this. Sometimes they're seen with that. I would say to you, then that simply put, and I'm about to rock some of your world, an angel is a shapeshifter. What? Sometimes they have six. Sometimes they have none. Sometimes they look like a man. Paul said, many times you entertain angels and you don't even know it because you don't know what they look like. They shift. Now, what shape do they shift to? That's a good question, isn't it? Here it is. Love the Father. They're messengers. So whatever message or thing God intends to happen, they go fit as an obedient servant to the will of the Father. Isn't that good news? That is good news, my friend. So the angel comes down, let's read, and stood by him, and a light shone down on the prison, and he struck Peter. I love that, don't you? Peter's sleeping so good he had to strike. Any of y'all got kids where you had to kind of strike them a little bit? Now, some of y'all are like, I like to strike them. Now, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about we had to kind of get rough with them a little bit to wake them up, you know? Uh, so he kind of hit, he has to say, wham, he's kind of wake up, you know. But then notice this, because you may have missed this, because some people think, well, yeah, he hit him, but he did more than that. He just sort of, he, he, he shoved him real good. But then the scripture says, and raised him up. Don't miss that. So he didn't just, right, the old King James says, smote him. <laughs> he didn't just do that, but he also did what? Raised him up. You have any kids like that? You got to sit them up. Tina, Tina and I remember a lot of our kids, you had to sit them up. You know, you, had to say, you, 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 look, you, you hear me? Yeah. We, they've, we've had them tell us, yeah, I'm awake, whatever. And we leave, whatever, and come back, and they sound asleep. They missed everything, you know. You got to sit them up. You know what I mean? So, so the angel sits him up and says to him two words. Y'all help me. What does he say? Now, don't you love getting woke up that way? Peter's sleeping good. And he smokes him. Man, what do you, what do you get up, rise quickly. Okay, now, he gives him some more instruction. Read with me. Oh, by the way, don't miss this little detail in the middle of verse number seven, the end of it. Arise quickly. And as the angel speaks, arise quickly. He delivers the message from God to Peter. Arise quickly. Something supernatural happens. His chains fell off his hands. Uh, I love the fact that the angel didn't demand or decree or any of that stuff, but simply by the ordained time and the will of the Father, an inanimate object like an iron chain releases its grip because it's the will of God. Never forget that. Never forget. What do you and I ever have to be afraid of? Because nothing's too hard for God. 
Whatever situation we find ourselves in, there's never a point we can find ourselves where the Father cannot rescue us from whatever it is that we're going through. And as we go into the week of revival, there are people in your life, in your community, in your circle of influence, in your family that need to have their rear end sitting in this room or wherever we have to stick them, right? We hope to fill up every room and every space, have them sitting in the aisles if we need to because there are many people who will hear an invitation from you and will be willing to come as you have prayed for them and receive the kind of deliverance that only Jesus can offer. And I love the fact that it's already preordained before the foundation of the earth. And there ain't no chain that can stay when he says fall. He didn't have to speak. The chains fell off. Let me move on if I can. I'm trying to hurry. The angel said to him, gird yourself. In other words, get dressed. Tie up your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. Don't miss on this major word here in the middle of verse number 8, which says, and so he did. Circle that in your Bible. Circle it. Why is that word so important? Because when you're told and I are told to do something by God, listen, when we're directed by God to do something, there's going to have some, there's some faith action required. And so he says, get up and get dressed. And Peter could have said, no way, man. Have you seen the size of the guards? There's four squadron of guards out there. Have you seen the iron gate? Have y'all ever seen a Roman iron gate? By the way, y'all to investigate that. Google that. It's not the little iron gate you have at deer camp. It has a little chain in it. You know what I'm talking about? No, no. It's a raising up kind of iron gate. And the most Roman uh, officials found great pride in how strong and heavy and fortified was their gates. And you're going to find out in a minute it has no hope of holding back what God wants done. And so what we find happening here is nothing is too hard for God, so the chain's falling. The angel tells him what to do, but don't miss out on that. Peter had to get dressed. And what I mean by that is there has to be some action to what you say you believe. He's given instruction, and I love it. It's so simple. And so he did. And so he did. Let me read on. Verse number nine. So he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel, if it was real or not, but though, but thought to himself he might be seeing a vision. He said, man, this is a good dream. Verse number 10. When they were past the first and the second guard post, and as we were talking through this as a staff, Johnny posed the question. He said, he said, I wonder what did the angel do? What did the angel do that caused him just to walk right by him? You know, we don't know. We don't know. He may have uh, caused his eyes to go blind. He may have caused him to be sleep. We don't have any idea. All we know is that they walk right by the guards and nobody said a word. Why? Because nothing's too hard for God. You can dig a hole and fill that thing with concrete. You can build a wall. You can build a gate. You can do it. Satan can do whatever he desires to do, and yet he can never thwart the plans of God. Listen to me when I tell you this. You ready? Prayer is powerful. And the will of God lined up with prayer is unstoppable. Prayer accesses the impossible. Let me read on. So what happens is he's walking on. He's thinking he may be asleep, verse 10. But when they were past the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which I love this, which opened to them of its own accord. Listen, uh, they spoke to itself before. Anybody out there? That iron gate, the, the, the cellular structure of that iron gate has no heartbeat, has no brain, has no spinal cord, has no interlocking parts that can flex and move, and yet defying all odds of logic in the will of God. And they didn't have to come up to the gate and say, oh, gate, will, will you play? When, when God said, and the people were already praying, and you line up the will of God, that's Peter's release, and the prayer of the church, all of a sudden the gate, I love it, of its own accord. The gate just all of a sudden becomes personified and says, hey, we're going to open up and let this guy out. We, I don't know if that's the different strands of the gate. I'm, you know, I'm just kind of helping us imagine what's going on here. Literally written, the gate of its own accord. It never had an accord before. 
It never had a wheel. It never had a, it never had a, y'all, is anybody, y'all are just like, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. Do you understand what's happening? Do, do you fathom the possibilities of what God can do? And what prayer accesses when the people of God believe that God wants to do a great work in a person's life and deliver them and draw them close to himself. I'm telling you, prayer accesses the impossible. Nothing is too hard for God. So what happens? They go on down, and immediately the angel departed from him. They leave. And don't you know in that moment, it says in verse number 11, and Peter uh, had come to, as Peter had come to himself, he says, now, you ever have a conversation with yourself? Anybody here ever talk to yourself? Peter, have a little talk to himself. It's nighttime, and the angel's now gone. He's all by himself. And some of y'all be running because it's dark, and you're scared half to death. Huh? And yet Peter just has a little conversation with himself. Here's what he says. Imagine walking up, and you see Peter. He's talking to us. He says, now, now I know for sure that the Lord sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I'm thinking to myself, what made him say that at that point? You know, the angel had been with him, done all this awesome stuff. He didn't know whether he was awake or asleep, but all of a sudden, boom, the angel's gone. And I guess where he just, the angel's not here, so he's having to really evaluate. And he's saying to himself, wow, I was in an impossible situation, and I had this vision. I don't know if it was an angel or maybe a dream, but now that the angel's gone, I realize I am free. I'm free. So it was real, and he did it. And I pray this week, I pray this week that there are people who have this same conversation with themselves next week and the week after and the week after because you prayed and invited them. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm praying for. All right, so let me move on. Nothing is too hard for God. We finish up in verse number 12, so we consider this. He came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together, and what were they doing? Praying, if he do it all. And Peter knocked on the door. Verse number 13, quickly, I'm going to say this. Mustard seed faith is all that's required. Now, I've got to hurry here. Mustard seed faith. Have you ever thought much about mustard seed? And have you, any of y'all ever seen a mustard seed? Held one in your hand, maybe? Now, if you're not careful, the wind will blow it away, and you'll lose it. It can fit into the crease in your palm. It's a tiny little thing, about the size of a pin dot. And uh, what happens is Jesus said something about mustard seed faith. Do you remember what he said? He said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, of all the seeds you could have picked, to pick the smallest. He said, if you have faith in the mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, remove yourself, and it would be cast into the sea, right? So oftentimes, when's the last time that you, like, petitioned God to give you a little tiny little just a fractious, a little, most of the time we pray this, right? God, I want some giant faith, and I want this great faith, and increase my faith, but really what we should be praying is, God, just give me just a, just give me just a, just a touch. Why? 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 Why would, here's the, here's the thing I want to say to you. Uh, all that's necessary is, y'all help me, mustard seed faith. Now, some of you guys beat yourself up and you say, well, I'm praying this and I really don't believe it. Now, we're going to have a moment of honesty since we're all family in the room. I'm assuming, now nah, I'll take that back. You say, why would you do that? It's a dangerous statement. I don't want you to think because you're sitting in a church house, you're going to heaven. If you've never been born again, Jesus is not Lord of your life. You're not going to heaven. You're not his child. And I don't ever want to make you think that about something I say, so I retract that statement, okay? But for those of us who have been born again in here, and all of us are candid, we'll put it that way, I'll say to you this, all right, as we think about this, what's happening here in this text as this, as this is unfolding and he's, he's being set free and this mustard seed faith, how many of you ever thought this before when you prayed? This ain't gonna happen. Huh? By showing your hands, that preacher's gonna start. Oh, y'all go ahead, all right. I have before prayed, as I'm praying in that little voice, that joker that won't be gone until I die or Jesus comes back for me, that little voice says, now, you know that ain't going to happen. You know they've been sick. You know they've been in the, you know this and you know that. And I never hear people talk about, hey, you know what? 
sometimes it's that way, and sometimes that's where we are. And so sometimes here's what happens. We, we, we handle ourselves harshly, and so we say, I'm just not going to pray because I'm just really not believing it all like I should. And so we have a tendency then not to pray, right? We have a tendency not to pray things. Now, my question for you is what level of faith was going on in the room with the people who were praying for Peter's release? I guess I would pose it to you this way. How small is mustard seed faith? I'll tell you, you ready? So small that when the thing you're praying for happens, you'll doubt it even happened. Who am I talking about? Peter. They've been praying, oh God, can you hear him? Can you hear him in that room at Mary's house? Oh Lord, we miss Peter. Jerry brought something up and stabbed me. She said, you know, they probably prayed the same thing for James. But then James, what happened to James? They killed him with the sword. We think that's bad. But for James, it was a win. But he'd crossed the finish line. He ain't got to suffer no more. He's home. Oh, we got a bad idea of death. But now they're praying the same thing for James. I mean, excuse me, for Peter. Oh, God, we miss Peter. You said Peter's the rock. Can't you see him claiming and praying? And, oh, Lord, would you deliver Peter? We want to see Peter. Set Peter free. Oh, God, I know it's impossible. We believe you can do the impossible. Oh, we, Lord, we ask you on, on behalf of uh, the power of the blood of Jesus, would you set him free? And then a knock comes at the door. And the servant girl wrote it. She runs out and gets the door. She, she don't even open the door. She goes, and she hears a voice, and she recognizes the voices. Peter. And the Scripture says her heart is so glad. You ever pray for something when it happens, you just feel, you're just so full of gladness? When you see somebody set free from something, you know, that's why I get so fired up up here when I look out and see a faces of people who I know Jesus Christ has set free. Oh, it makes me happy. I mean happy on the deepest level. And so Rhoda's done got happy. Y'all with me? Sometimes when you get happy, you, you just forget all the important stuff like unlocking the door and letting the guy in. She takes off. Bam. Oh, it's Peter's here. Well, let's see how they respond. Y'all reading with me? All right. Verse number 14. She recognized the voice. With gladness, she runs in. Peter's standing at the gate. And in verse 15, they said to her, you are, you're crazy. No, no, no. It's what we've been praying for. You're crazy. Now, remember, we were just praying, like, for Peter, and he's there. No, no, no. I know we're praying it, but he's not out there. How small is mustard seed faith? It must be tiny. It must be so small that you and I beat ourselves up for it. It must be so small that sometimes we won't even have it. We won't even attempt it because we say, well, I don't have enough giant faith to pray for this thing to happen, for my, for my drug-addicted loved one who's the 10th rehab, and I just, you know, I'm not going to pray anymore because I just don't. How small is it that when the thing they've been praying for, the person they've been praying for is standing at the door, and they're telling her, no way. And she says, oh, I'm certain it is. And then they said to her, nah, well, it must be his angel. Why don't you just think about that for a minute? And what I'm praying is this, that you and I would have just mustard seed faith. Not, no excuses. We pray bold prayers for the people that maybe we've given up on. Come on, somebody. Situations maybe that we've given up on. And we would, that part of the revival would start in our heart that we'd say, you know what, I need to believe again. Even if it's just mustard seed faith, I'm going to pray afresh and anew, and I'm going to pray with some expectation to see God do the impossible. So this mustard seed kind of faith. Finally, number, uh, number four, or excuse me, number five, quickly, verse 17. What is the point of it all? Peter knocks, they bring him in. Oh, it's a wonderful time. And Peter comes in, and don't you know they're all talking, asking questions? Don't you know everybody's talking at one time? Hey, Peter, Peter, what's going on? Oh, I want to touch you. What's going on? How'd you get out? What's going on? And he says... Everybody, shh. Motioning for them to what? Be silent. But what did he do? Come on, what did he do? He declared to them 
what the Lord had done. So write this down. You see it in your notes. Their deliverance is for what? Testimony. The reason that God delivered you in the past is that you would testify about it. Maybe, maybe the reason you're not seeing deliverance anymore is because you've stopped testifying about what God's already done. The purpose of deliverance is testimony, not of uh, our great faith because it's just mustard seed faith, but the testimony is about the one who's able to do anything for anybody, anywhere, at any time, you see. Uh, the whole point of the miracle is not to make life easy and comfortable and save us from death because, hallelujah, we get to die one day, and that's how we're going to get to heaven. But the whole point of it is that we would open our mouths and tell somebody about how he healed us from cancer, about how he delivered our child, about how he saved our marriage, about how he uh, repaired our finances, about how he, come on, somebody. Uh, we ought to testify. And I pray that you'd do that and I'd do that. Let me read. He says, but motioning to them with his handicaps, asking them to keep silent. But listen, not only did he, did he testify, but he, when he, the, the one instruction he gave them is he told them about how God had brought him, how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. He said to them, now, go and tell these things, and you go testify. And there you see the multiplication because if only Peter testifies, he can only talk to so many people at one time. But you tell a group of people, and they go out and disperse all the many mighty miracles God can do as people are testifying of him. And so tonight I want you to consider that as we pray together. Will you bow your head for just a moment? I just want to make this quick statement, okay? Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a minute. We're not going to have any music right now. This is just us, okay? This is just us. No music right now. Just, I, just want to, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. Here it is. Maybe you're here today and you've never been born again. You've never turned your life over to Jesus. Let me say this to you. The good news is Jesus Christ bled and died and rose again so that you could know God and be right with him. But knowing that won't save you, knowing about that won't save you, there is a point in time where you have to receive the Lord Jesus. So maybe it is tonight that you would open the door of your heart, something like this, in a place of repentance and confession. You would believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for you and rose again. And with your mouth, you would say something like this to God. You don't have to say it to a preacher. You don't have to say it to a deacon. You don't have to say it to your mom or your daddy or the person beside you. You simply have to say it to God. Lord Jesus, would you come in my life and would you save me? Would you be Lord, meaning above everything? And God says, if you say that, you mean that. And it's a turning from yourself to him. He'll save you. He'll save you. And I'll tell you, there's no better feeling being saved. Somebody shout amen right there. No better feeling than walking and talking in the salvation of the Lord, even when it's a valley that you find yourself in.